Hello, and welcome to another episode of CFILE Talks. I am Pamela Ferguson, Vice President of Investments here at CFILE, and joining me in studio today are my colleagues, Lachelle White, Investments Manager, and Angelo Butler, Manager of Corporate Advisory. There's an old adage which says, hope springs eternal, which means that undying belief that something will happen or things will get better even though it seems unlikely. Today, the panel will discuss those items on our economic list. These are items that we have the strong belief that can get better if things are done, even though it may seem impossible. So let's get started. Angelo, what is your top item on your economic wish list? Well, generally speaking, I would, you know, from an overall perspective, hope that the, or wish for, you know, success for the Bahamas, of course. I think we all benefit when the economy of the Bahamas um, does better. And so, you know, the U.S. economy is still pretty good. Um, so I hope, you know, there are no major issues with the U.S. economy or the global economy that would derail, you know, the current, I would say, positive economic growth we're experiencing, particularly um, coming out of the pandemic. So that's just kind of like a general, I, I would say, um, you know, wish. Um, but, you know, as I think we intend to dive deeper down into um, more of the issues, one of the things particularly that I think, um, you know, we need to focus on is government spending. Um, you know, I'd like to see a bit more restraint I think we're still spending money like it um, grows on trees and, you know, we're having a good time and all of it. Um, particularly, I look at, you know, before COVID, for example, um, recurrent expenditure was about $2.4 billion um, per year. Now, I know, you know, during that period, um, we had the pandemic come. And of course, during the pandemic, the government had to step in and spend or make, you know, large purchases or large subsidies to get the economy through that period and to um, assist people, you know, and a lot of that I felt was like one-time spending. But I think if you look at the budget now, we've kept that same level of recurrent spending, right? And, and so, you know, we have, make, we have made a lot of those one-time items, not exactly one for one, but the, the money that was allocated for those one-time items has now become permanent. Right. So we continue to find more and more ways to spend money. And, um, you know, eventually that has to be recovered to taxes. And I think you're seeing, you know, an aggressive approach to tax collection, which I think is not a negative thing. Uh, you know, you should pay the taxes that are owed. But, you know, this this policy where we continue to spend more and more and just find ways to tax more and more, I think, is a bit concerning. So I would like to see us kind of restrain spending. Um, it doesn't seem like we're going to go back to any of those levels pre-COVID. Um, so, you know, hopefully from here, you know, we don't find ourselves 10 years from now with an even more extravagant budget. And then we're just looking at how we can tax more to get, um, you know, the budget in some sort of normalcy. And I think also when you look at the type of stuff we are spending on, so you have your recurrent uh, expenditure, that's the current type expenditure, and then you have your capital expenditure. And I think... More focus need to be placed, and we've said this time and time again on our show, on the capital 
expenditure where you can get increased productivity or where you can get assets that will help the government in generating uh, more revenue. And the benchmark or the international benchmark for capital expenditure is just 3% of GDP. So whatever your GDP is, I think the last one was recorded at 12 plus billion dollars, which is uh, close to 400 million dollars. That should be for capital um, expenditure. And, and, then I, and then when we talk about capital expenditure, what we want is real capital expenditure. For instance, we've been having problems um, time and time again with uh, energy supply, right? So what the government should be doing is looking at, okay, you know, we have this amount allocated to capital expenditure, almost $400 million, depending on your, on your GP, GDP. So let's earmark, let's say this year we earmark $150 million to working towards fixing uh, BPL. Next year we could uh, earmark another um, um, fund, a set of funds towards uh, fixing BPL. But I don't think that's being done. I think what happens is we are making these, or we are having these reoccurring expenditure and then we are allocating those to capital expenditure and then that creates a problem overall for productivity and overall budget. And also when you look at recurrent expenditure, Angelo, you mentioned that it keeps going up and up and up and up. And then when you drill down and find out what are we spending these monies on there, they, and a lot of times it's, it's support. It's, it's spending in those areas because education isn't going up substantially. Healthcare went up um, a bit during the pandemic, but they're going to normalize that to where it needs to be. So a lot of times it's on jobs program or it's on on salaries for um, for public workers. And to me, that speaks to the lack of economic growth. Notwithstanding, they may tell you that growth looks good because if you have to take money and put it into these programs, then it means that the person that you're supporting, the social programs that, that, that you have, that, that persons are in, this, in these programs and they're not able to support themselves. And that speaks to the level of economic growth and the level of prosperity within the economy. Um, I agree. And that um, brings me into my top mm -hmm. um, um, economic um, wish list, which is for us to have some sort of um, economic growth policy where we can implement um, long-term sustainable growth policies. Um, and I think um, you mentioned, Pam, um, one of the things that um, I often think about is spending in infrastructure. Um, Angelo mentioned the recurrent um, spend, the recurrent spend, the recurrent spending, sorry. Um, but um, we need um, spending in those things that are going to go into the long, take us into the long term, take us, um, help us grow our economy. And I remember, um, I think that we don't take it as seriously as we should. I mean, I know that a sore point for probably everyone in this room is the potholes in the road. It's certainly <laughs> a, a sore point for me. And I think it's um, for a lot of persons. And I remember, I think it was back in 2009 when they did the New Providence Road Improvement Project, mm -hmm. which was a very ambitious um, project. And I think it was a good idea. Unfortunately, it was not as well managed as it should have been. And instead of spurring economic growth, it, you know, some businesses and um, might have um, gone out of business mm -hmm. because of the delays um, involved with the project. 
But there was a memorable phrase and what said, you can't eat roads. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and while that is true, we can't eat roads, but things like roads, infrastructure such as roads, are things that will allow us to help us mm-hmm. grow our economy. And I noticed that we have um, we have a lot of um, family islands and not all of them get the same amount of airlift, but I mean, we should just have a model for, you know, decent airports and each family island. It doesn't have to be anything fancy. I don't think we should be spending 50, 60 million dollars on an airport where you only, you know, maybe get a handful of of tourists or so coming in every year. But even if you have a structure where you put something up and you have room for expansion, mm -hmm. you know, if things become um, prosperous for the various islands, then you could expand on it easily, Mm -hmm. but definitely up front, you don't need that type of investment. Yeah, and I think we could just um, simply do a template and put this template across the islands that need it. We don't necessarily need to need to have like an architectural design for each island. Um, I, of course, you may want to do a little something to um, distinguish each island airport, like maybe for, you know, Andres, you know, we, I'm from Andres, so I could say, this. <laughs> you know, you know, we have a lot of, we have the Chick Charney, mm-hmm. we have the crabs, like, you know, maybe just, you know, do like a little design um, on that. But I think that we don't really pay attention to these things. And like you said, we tend to sort of like, put capital expenditure or infrastructure spending to after, you know, we've spent all the money elsewhere. Um, and then we say, oh, we have this little, you know, couple That's making the current expenditure look too high. Uh, yeah. Let's just allocate, Let's just allocate it, it over the capital expenditure. And, you know, I know the government has recently announced that they're going to do another road improvement project. So um, we'll, we'll see how that goes. And I think, um, but things like, I don't understand, like things like we don't even have we are a family of islands, but we don't even have an inter-island ferry system. Mm-hmm. Like, why hasn't that ever been considered? So I think things like that is something that would help us to move our economy forward. And beyond infrastructure spending, um, when you look at economic growth and creating sustainable economic growth policies, you also want to look at other pillars of your economy, including mm-hmm. education, mm-hmm. and which is we need to identify areas that we will need to support economic growth in the future and we need to focus um, them in our um, curriculum. And, you know, one of the things that many businesses complain about is that people are coming out of high school and they cannot function in a working environment. Like, you know, they don't have like even the basic skills to, you know, to properly function on a job. And um, I know um, yesterday I had a chance to um, attend, virtually attend the Bahamas Business Outlook and the prime minister was the keynote speaker. And I was happy that he mentioned that he identified that, yes, we do have these shortcomings in education and we need to look at this because we need to improve education so that we can improve business, um, we can improve business productivity and we can improve the economy. So that's one of the things education has, shortcomings in education has hampered our national development. And I think that that's something that we need to focus on. And we also need to, we need to focus on a lot of things. <laughs> but we also need to focus on technology. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we are, it's 2024, you know, so, and we have made some improvements. I'm not going to lie. You know, you can pay um, certain um, taxes and things online. But I think that sometimes we're so stuck in the old way of doing things that it's just keep the same things keeps occurring. Um, and then also um, we need to look at having a more pro um, 
business environment. And um, Angelo mentioned, like, you know, um, paying, paying taxes, like you want to tax people more. But one of the complaints about biz- businesses had was that, you know, I think the government updated its payment portal for the business license tax, and it did not go well for some people. <laughs> so, But you did it, like, in the busiest time of the year. And I think that um, sometimes government has some sort of, like, they're aggressive against mm-hmm. the businesses. Like, they treat them like the enemy when mm-hmm. small businesses are the backbone of an economy. And like yeah. you mentioned with the road, pro- uh, the road project, I just think these things need to be planned out mm-hmm. and not necessarily knee-jerk. You know, um, Dr. Stephen Brand, when he spoke at our conference, he was talking about how they decided that they were going to increase mm-hmm. national insurance. And that was like over a 10 year period. Mm-hmm. So they were talking and telling people 10 years before mm-hmm. we're going to increase this, increase this 10 years down the road. So people got familiar with it. They put mm-hmm. the plans in place. And so when that increase came, it wasn't so difficult mm-hmm. for some it, it may have been shock. but exactly so i think that's what need to happen um in our economy as well you know you want to do something like that this should be planned out if you have a plan then okay we're going to change over to the system we're going to make sure people are, uh, are well versed in the system and give yourself some time so that you can implement it and have a smooth process but if you someone wakes up one morning decides, you know what? Next period, we're going to change the system. And then when you're having problems, you're just unsympathetic towards persons mm-hmm. who are trying um, to get it right. And then you tell them, well, you know, there are other means in which you can do this. You know, you don't have yeah. to do this online, online via your credit card. But that was done to make it easier mm-hmm. to get it done. So I just think that needs to be more planning. Yeah. And even in that when they, I think they announced last June that they wanted businesses with more than 5 million turnover mm-hmm. to have audited financial statements mm-hmm. starting the deadline being March 2024. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's like, that's done even a, a year's lead time. Like, why would you do that? Why wouldn't you say, you know, starting in 2025 or 2026, you need to plan, you need to make people comfortable, you need to be able to have dialogue and answer questions. And, and on the <clears throat> on the growth um, point as well, I think it, you know, I, I wish we could have more inclusive growth. Um, you know, I think expats or foreigners buy in um, expensive condos or townhouses, you know, um, in particular areas, you know, isn't necessarily benefiting the average person. So, you know, we see this. And again, it's always a, you even have the government arguing the point, you know, this high GDP number doesn't allow us to get aid, but the underlying economics of it are not very beneficial. So I think as we look for growth, we have to continue to look for growth that benefits the average person. You know, yesterday, the hotel union had the bridge um, blocked <laughs> up or they were rioting at the, not rioting, um, what, what do you call it? Protesting, Protesting. or striking um, at the bridge. And, you know, you see in the newspaper, Atlantis and Bahama, for example, saying their re- occupancies are at records and room rates are at records. And so it's, you know, it's like, you know, when we get growth, I think everyone needs to feel it. It can't be centered at the top. And, and I think that's um, something we need to continue to strive for in terms of economic growth. I agree totally. And that's on my list. But I won't discuss that right now in terms of having tourism, the benefits or the gains from yeah. tourism trickle down to the average man. But I won't discuss that now. <laughs> my, my top item on, on my economic wish list is that the government get a handle on the country's national debt. Um, I know we've been talk- we, we've talked about this a lot, how um, over 20 years ago, the debt levels were relatively low. Um, but I wouldn't even go 
that far back. You know, in recent times, we are at like 90%. If you round up to 90%, um, our national debt is at 90% and our government debt is like about 89, 88, 88, 89% of GDP, which means it's just the margin is so close. Like our debt level is almost the size, you know, of our GDP. And that is really, we are at crisis point, whether or not our officials want to, to admit to it, we are at crisis point because when you have such high levels of debt, particularly a country like the Bahamas that does not produce anything and is so reliant on outsiders um, for our economic growth in the service um, industry, then that means that government has less money, Lachelle, to spend on education and healthcare um, 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 projects or, or, or in that, those areas. And, and also it puts a strain on growth. Whereas monies that were precious dollar that should be allocated to these areas where you can get economic growth, infrastructure, um, education. If you improve the educational system um, um, for our country, that can help with economic growth. Healthcare is where you could get economic growth. That money is now spent on other areas like interest. Course. So dad. right now in our country, I mean, it wasn't heard of several years ago, but the, the largest expenditure item is interest costs. Mm-hmm. We are spending almost $600 million on interest, interest on our debt, when for education, it's 300 plus. For healthcare, it's 200, and sometimes it hovers under 300. Um, um, it's 200 plus, or sometimes it goes up slightly over um, um, 300 million. Definitely during the, the pandemic, it was at those levels. And so we are in a situation where tax dollars, Angelo, are coming in. But most of that money, or a large chunk of that money, is going towards paying off debt. That's because our debt level is so high. And I know we had uh, Hurricane Dorian. Um, I know we had um, the pandemic, and back then there's the Great Recession. And so when these shocks are, happen to our economy, then our borrowing um, tend to go up. But that's no excuse, I think. Yes, that's a part of it, but that's no excuse to continue on this line of non-productive spending that will not help us or allow us to, to accumulate funds during good periods that we can use when times are difficult and times are tough. So I am very much concerned about our level of, of national and government debt. And then you have that foreign component. I mean, several years ago, I think it was like $100 million we had in foreign currency. And that's because we were generating the tourism dollars. We didn't have as much visitors as we have now, but we were generating uh, 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 U.S. dollars via um, our tourism product that was sufficient to cover our balance of payment. But now we have more tourists and we have to borrow to prop up reserves. And and so our foreign currency component of debt is like five point. Um, $2 billion, and that's like 45%, 40 to 45% of our GDP. And I think it's important that you mentioned, for example, the interest payments, right? Because, you know, often we hear about debt to GDP ratio, right? And, and around the world, generally you see post-pandemic particularly, like the very high debt to GDP ratios. And I always say they have to rewrite all of the economic textbooks mm-hmm. because all them tell you once you get above a certain limit it's bad, but everyone is kind of yep. above those mm-hmm. limits now, right? So it's like traditional economics has been 
severely challenged by the, I guess, economic um, order of the day. But like you said, the absolute value of the interest payments as well as the debt mm-hmm. continues to go up. So mm-hmm. in simple terms, it's like, you know, you make $20,000 and you have $15,000 in debt and then you start making $25,000 and you say, oh, my my income has gone up. And then you go right borrow. there and get <laughs> yeah. borrow more and you, mm-hmm. you just find yourself endlessly um, in this chasing cycle. And interestingly, um, a few weeks ago, government announced that they um, would have done a $500 million, like you mentioned, mm-hmm. foreign um, borrowing mm-hmm. in the international market. Well, not really in the international markets, but from international sources. And what's very interesting is that, again, this is the second time that the government has had to do something like this with some sort of multilateral guarantee by one of the IDB or IADB agencies. So what that means is it's very difficult for us to go there independently due to our current debt profile and borrow money. And this particularly becomes a problem when you have crises, right? Mm -hmm. Pandemics or natural disasters. Because rightfully so, if your economy is impacted, you you know you borrow in the short term to kind of prop things up. Um, so it's it's very I think concerning that you know we have to continuously borrow money with with almost like a helping hand attached yeah. to it, um, which we've never really had to do in the past. Um, so like you said, I think we need to get a handle on this. Rightfully so, when things happen, we borrow, but I think we take too long to rectify. Um, the ship afterwards and and then something else comes up and we're now, you know, digging out a deeper hole. And it's become a way of life. Like we are boring to survive. It's just become a way of life. And I think that's, that's, that's scary. <laughs> that's, that's dangerous. So I, Angelo, your second item on your economic risk list. Well, um, my s- second item speaks to housing. Um, I think there is a significant housing problem in the country. And then just this morning, again, I saw the government announce that they were labeling more homes. Um, well, they have surprisingly been following through on the shantytown eradication um, policy. So they were in Abaco, you know, putting notices on homes for demolition. You've already seen them do two demolitions in New Providence mm-hmm. so far. So these people have, have been living there, so they need somewhere to live, right? And, and every year... Um, we always say, you know, four to 5,000 students come out of school. Most of them will live home for a while, but at some point they, you know, make their way into the economy and need housing. And I think you're seeing a severe housing shortage at, at a time when home prices are just escalating. A, a lot of the communities we see popping up are just out of reach for the average person. So, I, I, you know, I think we need more housing options. I, I do commend the government because they are doing some sort of... Um, housing program but you know i think we need more of it we need to incentivize private sector a bit more to try and get involved more you know build a bit more complexes or apartments to try and um you know make fix this for as many people as possible because it it, it's a growing issue and i think it's discouraging it you know i I think not being able to afford home is very discouraging it Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you need a house, I, I feel, <laughs> or, or somewhere to live to feel it's yours, you know, comfort level. Um, so do, do you need a do you need to own a house or do you need a place where because yeah. I don't think everybody should own a house? Yeah, I think um, not in the traditional sense right. with like the um, single family mm-hmm. home. But um, Angelo alluded to it. Complexes, mm-hmm. apartments, mm-hmm. Um, 
I was discussing this with a friend mm-hmm. on the weekend, and I was like, why don't we build complexes around communities? So you have a community sent a park or something mm-hmm. and then you have houses or townhouses or apartments around it mm-hmm. and then you know like the persons pay a nominal fee for mm-hmm. the upkeep mm-hmm. um, of the community but I think what we're doing is like we're putting government is putting these communities out with single family homes so everybody has their home everybody has their yard and that's nice but we don't have the space for that mm-hmm. <laughs> and we're running out of space for that in the island and then it's like you know Climate, I mean, climate change, you know, everything is a road. It seems as everything is a roading. So we're getting pushed in the middle. Like, you know, flooding happens when it rains. It floods everywhere. So we don't really have, again, the infrastructure um, to be building like these single family homes when persons are, you know, persons are needing, uh, are just needing a place to stay. And I know, I know that they don't call it homeless anymore. They just say unhoused, mm-hmm. unhoused person. So not necessarily, you know, a traditional home, but just some place to call your own. And I don't think persons, the average Bahamian has the funds, mm-hmm. the to means afford to afford, because the low-cost homes are like $180,000. That will run you, let's say your 30-year mortgage, they probably would do it for via the, the mortgage corporation, between 800 to $900 per month. Mm-hmm. If you have a um, minimum wage of 260 per week, that is not sufficient to help persons in that in in that category, so and I agree, I agree. Um, I think if you structure it properly, again, you know how I feel about this. Government should not be in control of it. You know that's why we have the problem with the mortgage corporation right now. You know, mm-hmm. yes, they could be churning out these homes, but they're not making money. They're not getting the funds back from these payments. You know, I know of a situation where persons have been living in a government home for over 10 years and have not paid a dime. Wow. And that's because there was some structural damage to the place Mm. and they were never able to come back and fix fix it. it. Wow. And do you know how many people are out there? And then, you know, it's because it's all political, you know, you don't want to be seen as moving, removing people from their homes and where are they going to go? So you allow them to be in there without paying. So that's why the corporation cannot make any money. And the reason why you need to have persons paying it and those who cannot pay the mortgage, you need to have the apartments to Mm -hmm. say, well, okay, you cannot afford this home. Then you have to move out. And then we have some apartments over there and you need to live there because when you get the money in, that will give you more funding to be able to build additional homes. But if you have persons in these homes and they're not paying, then you don't raise the money to, 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 to add to your, to your housing stocks. I think it's just a bad strategy um, all around. Yeah, I agree. And then, yeah, it just, but I think everything, like everything that we're talking about, everything sort of connects because... We're running out of space on this tiny mm-hmm. little island, but we have other islands, but yet the infrastructure is not there. Yeah. So for persons to want to move to these islands, you know, you know, they can't really make a living or whatnot. There are not sufficient homes um, for them to um, to stay in. So I think, I think that there is just like um, sort of like so much interconnectedness. Um, and I know we're not expecting, I don't think any of us sitting here with our wish list are expecting these things to be solved by next month. I think it's something that's going to have, like you mentioned, Pam, we need a plan. And, you know, I found interesting a few, maybe it was a year or so ago, where, you know, 
there was a, a, an issue in life at Key when one of the developers wanted to build some condos. And I think he wanted like 70 or so units and the Life at Key Association was against that. And they were able to secure government approval for a lesser amount. And I thought to myself, look how easy it was for government to approve condominium in a residential area that where, where, where the association was against. Why then government doesn't use that model to build more condominium apartment-style homes for persons on, um, um, with lower income. I, I think it's desperately needed. I don't think those persons with the low income necessarily need homes, but decent places where That's they can same. live um, and, and raise their families. Yes, about affordable access to housing, um, you know, somewhere to feel at peace at night and be able to, um, you know, say this is where I live, this is where I stay, you have some dignity. Um, so, yeah, I think it's a, a big issue we need to continue to work towards. Well, Angelo and Michelle, we are out of time, and we're going to pick this up um, in our next episode with part two. Thank you so much for contributing to this discussion, and thank you, audience, for listening in. If you enjoyed this episode of C-File Talks, why don't you send us an email at info at cfile.com or call us at 502 And let us know how you feel. Thank you, and until next time. <laughs>